As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Football League show Samba saves Forest as Jordan puts Huddersfield on the roads to Wembley. We talk pitch invasions and how to stop them, chat through the League One playoff final in the company of Wickham Royalty, round up the managerial moves, and reveal our teams of the season from the third tier. In association with Panny Power, this is the Totally Football League show. What a midweek, eh, listener? Both championship playoff semi-second legs delivered drama by the barrelful. Here to discuss all that and plenty more with me. It's a classic TFLS lineup today. Adrian Clark's in. Morning, Clarky. Hello, good morning. Sam Parkin's back with us too. Hi, Sam. Morning, Matt. Uh, so as mentioned, managerial movements, League Two action, a final to preview, and we'll pick our League One team of the season later. But we're going to start in the Championship. We now know it will be Nottingham Forest versus Huddersfield Town. Let's talk about how they got there. Eyes here on Sorba Thomas. Delivery is dangerous. I think that was a message before the game to, to go out there and just make it a memorable night and do so proud. It's balled onto the slip from Colbeck and it's forced in right on the goal line by Blake. Sheffield United have walked into Forest's home. They faced a wall of hostility, but they levelled the tie. Interesting header. And gets right involved. And free Samba got to that. But how did he get to that? This is just unbelievable. Gibbs White, Samba saves! Nottingham Forest are one game away from completing this football miracle on the trend. I hated every minute of the second half. We'll start with Tuesday's tie between Forest and Sheffield United. Forest 2-1 up from the first leg. That was the score here too, but this time in United's favour. That meant pens and that meant that the 17th of May will henceforth be known as Brees Samba Day in the county of Nottinghamshire. Uh, Adrian and I were both there. 
Uh, Adrian, I imagine you enjoyed it somewhat more than I did. Um, talk a little bit about about the occasion, what it was like to broadcast, and, and you know the best and worst bits of the game. Yeah, it was wonderful to broadcast from there. Uh, obviously, amazing atmosphere. It, it struck me how many fans got in there really early to to, to have a good old sing song well in advance of the teams coming out. So yeah, it was it was a special special night, um, and the game itself had a little bit of everything, didn't it? I thought. I thought that um, obviously Brennan Johnson scoring a fantastic goal, trademark Nottingham Forest, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. If you could picture a goal that was Nottingham Forest, it was a transitional attack, you know, a very quickly constructed attack, passed down the line for 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 Surridge, who then whips it along the face of goal for for Johnson to convert. It, yeah, it was what they do best. But then, yeah, Sheffield United were came back into it brilliantly, didn't they? And yeah. It, <laughs> So much to discuss. We'll, we'll get through the, the details of it, but I really, really enjoyed it. I kind of had no voice by the end of it and I was drained. I was really drained by it, actually. And I was alongside Ian Danton TalkSport and he he was he was completely exhausted. Um, uh, as soon as we came off air, he sort of slumps in his seat. He was completely whacked out. And it, I think it was just that kind of night because you didn't know what was going to happen next. Yeah, it's definitely the most drained I've ever been by a football match and, and it comes second to last time Forrest played Sheffield United in the playoffs but I think part of it for me was that Forrest just played so poorly for such a lot of the game and now that mm. Sam is partly down to Sheffield United playing really really well but it seemed quite apparent to me that, that some of the Forest players at least were either nervous tired or both yeah probably more nerves I would say although Steve Cook was very honest after the game wasn't he oh, he's brilliant um, you know, when he speaks about just his his legs are gone, hated every minute of it. <laughs> that's not that's not normally the openness you you get from footballers, and that's probably my experience of the playoffs as well. You know, it's um, it's tense nights, and yeah, I thought Sheffield United were brilliant to be honest on on the night. I thought Gibbs White was poetry, honestly. Some of the passes, the the, the pace and the the weight of some of his deliveries, obviously the. The, the, the outside of the foot pass he executed for the entire chance. But there was more than that. He was just so graceful. I thought the two wing-backs actually was a was a big difference. Obviously, Norrington Davis kind of quelling the the, the threat of, of Forrest's right-hand side for the majority. And obviously, Bulldog produced a bit of magic for one of the goals. So I thought, yeah, the, the changes paid off as well for, for United. But I enjoyed watching them. But Forrest could have buckled. That's an important point, I think. Teams have gone under under that type of pressure, and when you've had a bit of a a bit of a doing in terms of the way they've moved the ball, Forrest stayed strong, and that's you know testament to to the likes of Steve Cook. Yeah, I echo everything Sam, Sam said there. Sheffield United were awesome, particularly from half time onwards. They came out early, didn't they, for the second half? They were ready. Nottingham Forest didn't look like they were ready. For, for the onslaught that was to come. And, and they asked me on air, look, they've, they've got, got to chase two goals here. Surely they're going to put another attacker on. And I, I said, no, I don't think they will. I think that, that, that they've got very limited options, unfortunately, on the bench. They're down to the bare bones in terms of attackers, a couple of youngsters on the bench. And and I think that I predicted that Heckenbottom would trust uh, Gibbs White and Njai and the rest of the guys to to pull it back and he was absolutely right to trust in them there was no need to change it they were they were brilliant really in the second half Forest passing was poor wasn't it couldn't get any kind of rhythm going on the night but but I would credit Sheffield United to, to a degree Sam's right about the wing backs 
wonderful contribution, wasn't it, from Bulldog for that that second goal. So, yeah, I felt it was a little bit cruel, really, on Sheffield United on the night that, that they ended up going out because they were superior. But you have to remember that Forrest probably should have won by more goals in, in that first leg. So, And over the course of the season, Forrest have shaded it. They've been slightly stronger, I think, than, than the Blades. And Yeah, I think we've got the right the right finalists. But yeah, what a game it was. I mean, so many things to discuss. I mean, Hecking bottom with the with the Jed Spence. I don't know what your guys what you what your take on that was. The sort of slamming the ball into his gut. I thought that was that was a bit naughty, really. Yeah, I think uh, you know we will come on to pitch invasions and, and things shortly. And there's absolutely no excuse for for what happened, of course. But I don't think that that helped what Paul Heckingbottom did. I don't think it's unfair uh, to say that. Um, Sam, before we get to the penalties, I wanted a quick word from you, if you may, on Keenan Davis because I thought that was a massive difference in the game. Surridge been brilliant for Forest in the last few weeks, but he really struggled to hold the ball up in this match. Keenan Davis came on. And it seemed impossible for people to take it from him. He's, he's not just strong. The ball sticks to his foot like glue. It is incredible to watch. Yeah, there was one little passage of play very early after his, his introduction down the left-hand side. Then he played a effortless kind of crossfield ball. And it looks so simple, but that's it's a big part of a striker's game, that. Getting hold of it, getting the team up the pitch, spreading the play. Yeah, something you... When you're on it, 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 it comes quite natural. Uh, when you're having a bad game, those, those passes go astray, your touch is loose. He makes a big difference to him. That's obviously what's held Sam Savage back a little bit with huge respect that I've got for him as a finisher. His all-round contribution is nowhere near that of Keenan Davis and, and Forrest will want him fit for the for the final. That said, what a pass for Savage for Johnson's goal. The the little look is is brilliant. Um, and then to hit it on your weaker side on the swivel, inch perfect. It was actually helped Johnson that he was almost sliding, you know, mm. to, to to get that contact so he didn't have to take a touch or adjust, just flung himself at it. So the, the they, they both well, contributed. Yeah. yeah, the movement was great. And you saw it in the first leg. How many, t- you know, he got down the sides in the first leg, didn't he? I think it was Surridge, wasn't it, that helped to set up the, the goal for Colback, I believe. So, so down the other channel. So I think that's a really, really good asset. He, 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 even though I completely agree, Davis was was really good when he came on. Surridge needed to come off. His contribution across the two legs, yeah. Sam Surridge, m- means I think that 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 the manager has a very, very difficult decision to make. By the sound of what Sam says, he would pick Keenan Davis, but I don't, I don't know if it is a a no brainer or not. Keenan mm. Davis is a an impact sub looking to bulldoze tired centre-backs might be something to consider. It's, it's a tough call, I think. Yeah, if, if they're both fit and been trained in the last few weeks, yeah. it's a no-brainer. At the moment, you go with Surridge, I, th- I, I think. And then, you know, 60, 65 minutes, if, if it's necessary, Keenan Davis comes on then. Because mm, that has been the role reverse of that, essentially. But obviously, that's when Davis was, um, was fully fit. We've got to talk about Brees Samba, Adrian, because we got to penalties because of him, essentially. He made one incredible save early on and one at the end, uh, which was just extraordinary, given the circumstances, the time of the game and everything. But then we get to penalties and and there's big Jordan Pickford World Cup 2018 energy with his water <laughs> bottle. I mean, but it, it is one thing having that information to hand, but... I thought particularly the nerve to stand still for the second penalty that he saved and just fling his arm up and put it onto the crossbar. Uh, psychologically for Sheffield United, that, that must have been a hammer blow because it was a, 
such an unusual save and an incredible performance from him. Yeah, it was it was glorious. It was yeah. Forrest were crying out for a hero, and and he was the guy, wasn't he, on the night? He's such a character. Uh, he was lucky, I think, maybe not to get a yellow card for his time-wasting antics during the shootout. But yeah, I mean, you guys will have seen the replays because I didn't have a monitor. I haven't. I've been just not stopped since since I went to that game, so I haven't seen those saves back. I thought the first one in the first half that Sam described earlier from the Gibbs White, you know, great pass for Njai. That was a great step. That was a great save, making himself big. The one at the end, did he know that much about it? The one where Njai sort of swivels from about three yards out? It's similar. It's react- yeah. Reaction time is incredible. Yeah. It yeah. is. And then the, the, the strong hand as well. But yeah, I mean... As you, as you say, Clarky, they, they were exceptional saves. Normally, oh, one you'd expect him to make. I wouldn't no, have expected no. him to make either of them. Brilliant. No. And, yeah, and in the shootout, obviously done his done his prep, done his homework, but I did think he got into the minds of the players. Is it Oliver Norwood who went had the first penalty? He went too early. He way he went too away, early, didn't he? Went, it must have been three or spot. four minutes he was standing with the ball by the spot. It was too long and because the because Michael Oliver was talking to the two goalkeepers, telling him what he expected. So but but in between the penalties, I thought he played the role of sort of time wasting bad guy really, really well. And uh and yeah, it was yeah, it was it was a joy to witness, I have to say. Um yeah, fantastic scenes. So at full time, we get the scenes reminiscent of what we saw 24 hours previous in Huddersfield. Uh, pitch invasion. Uh, I mean, you know, Forrest have had absolutely nothing to celebrate for 23 years, uh, 30 years really, since they've been to Wembley. So you can understand people getting overexcited, but no excuse, of course, for what happened to Billy Sharp. He was assaulted. Police have arrested a man in connection uh, with that, I've just mentioned this on the Totally Football Show, but it, it bears repeating. Uh, if you go onto my Twitter page, you can see some Forest supporters have set up a, a Just Giving page. Uh, they've been in touch with Sheffield United uh, to raise some money for his nominated charity, uh, just to try and uh, make things a little bit better after that that awful incident. It is Martin House Children's Hospice. You can either go to Martin House's website and donate there, or have a look at my Twitter page at Matt Davis Adams, and you can see the link uh, if you want to help donate. But dreadful, dreadful stuff. Uh, that guy will obviously never watch another football game live again, quite rightly. Uh, the night before, Nathan Jones had said the fans were an absolute disgrace. Uh, how one of us hasn't been injured, I don't know. Uh, we don't complain. Football fans are like that. Some are idiots. Uh, obviously, you'll have seen, listener, I'm sure, the footage of Ollie McBurney appearing to stamp on a Forest supporter in the ground as well. Police investigating that. Uh, I mean, the thing to say, Adrian, you were on hand to watch this too, is... Play, people shouldn't invade the pitch at the end of the game. I just don't know how practically you can stop people from doing that. You know, if you've got a bunch of 50 to 100 stewards on minimum wage or whatever, and you're asking them to put their safety at risk to try and stop thousands of people, it's just not practically possible, is it? Yeah. You don't want fences back, though. That's the thing. I don't, I don't want to see stadiums have fences, really. Um, I think... I think the EFL, there's not much the EFL can do really other than threaten to close stadiums and, and, and whatnot and punish fans that way, punish the clubs for not doing enough to stop these invasions. I think I'd like to see the EFL and the Premier League or football in general work with the government on, on getting a, a fixed deterrent in terms of you step onto a football pitch, you get fined this much. Because we know it's against the law, but what's the punishment? I don't, I don't know. I, I, I genuinely don't know what it is. If it was a thousand pound fine, you're thinking twice, aren't you? You're not. You're not. You're not going to do it. 
I, you know, I certainly wouldn't. So I think they need to 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 be really heavy-handed with the deterrent. Say so you step onto a pitch, it's it's, it's going to cost you a thousand pounds, and then then see how many, see how many do it. And if they do, then then they can round those people up. It's not that hard to round round up. Um, you know, they had to round the people up the other day. I mean, they earned a lot, an awful lot of money, wouldn't they, the other day? But 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 if that deterrent was there, those people wouldn't have been on there, in my opinion. So. It's so dangerous. It's so scary. It's it feels like it's only a matter of time before a player, and I don't want to over egg this before a player, you know, is is given a life threatening injury, because that guy could have could have caused brain damage. You know, it, it, it was that dangerous. He could have been carrying a weapon. I was at Northampton. I don't know if you saw this last night. I was at Northampton. It happened there. It happened. In injury time, a Northampton fan ran on the pitch, unopposed, about three of them, and he threw a flare at the players. He threw it in the direction of the players. Didn't hit anyone, but he threw a flare at the players. And then he shoved, uh, Jordan Bowery it was, in the chest. And there was a little bit of a tussle. He then went for the managers as he was escorted off. Um, then as he came down the touchline, Northampton fans were, were given him pelters. And uh, they were throwing things at him again, throwing things. And then someone jumps over a Northampton fan, jumps onto the running track and tries to assault the Northampton fan that had been such an idiot. It, it was horrible. It was horrendous. Uh, so, yeah, you've got to throw the book at these people. And, and to Mansfield's credit, they uh, they resisted. There was one or two, but, but the most stayed behind the goal, which was great. They seem like they've been able to police the away fans relatively well at, at, at these games. I don't know, is it? I don't know enough about the subject, but in terms of clubs spending thousands of pounds on players, can't they spend more on security police for match days? I saw one Liverpool fan get on the pitch at Wembley the other day and he was taken to the ground by four or five athletic-looking chaps who, who raced <laughs> over and just nipped it in the butt. I don't know how... But the FA have got Easy more money than Northampton, haven't they? That's the answer. Yeah, but can the they FA have. do that? They can't. They subsidise that because, like, just for the, just maybe just for the playoff games or the games on the final weekend of the season where the pitch invasion is the is the yeah. main concern. Is it just the, police resources? Is it a lack of police yeah, resources? Is it a lot a lack of, money. of funds. It you know, a lot of money. Doesn't so, it? but it yeah. couldn't couldn't as you say, Adrian, then outsource some kind of security firm to to actually, you know, get a handle on this really because. I hate the, the what's the term, the, the whataboutery after this happens. Every set of supporters across this country is going to have people that are going to misbehave. You know, uh, we, we, we've seen it. You wouldn't expect Huddersfield, Forest, Northampton, really, would you? You know, on the face of it, people stepping out of line. But every supporters group has them, especially when they've been drinking throughout the day, siege mentality, the enthusiasm, you know, all that. It, it, it's going to happen. So... Yeah, I don't like finger pointing at particular clubs. It's a it's a social problem, isn't it? Something that seems to have got worse since the summer. Yeah, something will have to be done about it. I do think that since pandemic ball, football supporters as a collective have been amazing and improved massively. But individually, some people have just gone feral. But yeah, something will have to happen about it, I'm sure. All right, let's take a little pause for the cause here. When we come back, we'll reflect on the other championship playoff semi-final second leg. Hello, listener. Matt here again, uh, just popping in retrospectively because after we'd finished recording, it was confirmed that Forest season ticket holder Robert Biggs had been jailed for 24 weeks for headbutting Billy Sharp. 
Zada Lacazette. Why aren't you at training? <clears throat> Not feeling well, boss. <clears throat> Have you seen Emile Smithrow? Oh, he's at the pool. Uh, the recovery pool. <laughs> With a game to go, it seems most Arsenal players are already on holiday. Luckily, you can still count on Paddy Power's Bet Builder offer to stick around. With money back as a free bet if one leg of your 4 plus 4 Bet Builder lets you down. Paddy Power! Pretty much online Bet Builder bets only. Min odds 1 to 5 per leg. Max free bet £10 per day. 7 day free bet expiry. Excludes enhanced match odds. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Another absorbing semi at the John Smith Stadium where Huddersfield edged out Luton thanks to sub-Jordan Rhodes' late goal. A 1-0 win on the night gave them a 2-1 aggregate here. Uh, Sam, I feel like your old club Luton might be kicking themselves here. A bit like Sheffield United, they were the away team, but they, they played better, I thought, on the night. Particularly in the first half, they had a whole lot of chances. Harry Cornick and Moore could easily have been in front by the break. Yeah, they, they played really well. I thought they did a bit of a job on Huddersfield's midfield, you know, the, the way that they pressurised them. Russell in particular, I think, in the, the second half at Kenilworth Road had a bit of a problem. And again, in the first half on, on Monday, great technician. But if you do get around him, I, I think that they got joy from that. Cornick was obviously a constant threat. We knew he would be. What a chance he had. And I don't, I don't buy into the, he caught it too cleanly, cliche. He just had to obviously change the, the 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 angle of contact his foot and direct it towards one of the corners and I mean he, he met it perfectly he just couldn't find the the, the angle on the strike but you know that they, they played really well Huddersfield improved I thought hugely in the second half Corbran tinkered I think he switched from the the 3-5-2 to the the 3-4-3 when Thomas came on and essentially he was the difference maker. He created four chances, you know, when he came into the pitch for shooting opportunities and he put in, I can't tell you how good that cross is. It was, it, again, it was just perfect. Jordan Rhodes' movement, the contact, the delivery. Um, it was a great goal, but Luton probably deserved better on the night. Over the two ties, not sure, pr- pretty even and Huddersfield probably shaded it. Would you agree with that, Clarkie? Yeah, I just thought there was nothing in it, literally nothing in it. I think I think that he kind of deserved to go to penalties, really, because Luton were a match for Huddersfield. And and why I think, you know, I want to heap praise on Luton is because they did it with not half a team, but three quarters of their best team. Had key men out, didn't they, at the wrong time of the season, but they, they stuck in there. Adebayo is probably the difference there, Clarkie, right? If yeah, he's fit, yeah. fully fit for two legs, Luton probably go through. I think they do. Yeah, I really do. I, I don't think Huddersfield were anywhere near their best. That's because Luton were come up with some good game plans, like you said, to, to, to nullify the midfield in particular. Obviously, Huddersfield were without Sorba Thomas for the first leg and for most of the game in, in the home one as well. We should say that. But um, yeah, no, Luton can walk away with their heads held high. It's just a tale of slight missed opportunities on their part. Um it was hard to defend. The guy will feel bad, only for that that Jordan Rhodes has got behind him to score. But the quality of the cross is is just outstanding, and and the finish, by the way, to to, to hit it. You know, he didn't have a big part of the goal to aim at, did he, Jordan Rhodes? But he got a nice clean connection and and found that bottom corner. It was it was classic Huddersfield, classic Sorba Thomas. This is a kid that hadn't played. I don't think he'd started in the Championship, had he? Ahead of this season, he was at Boreham Wood not that long ago. What a find. What a find. He's a, he's a great technician. 
Yeah, there's a really good piece on The Athletic at the moment by Richard Sutcliffe about Huddersfield's recruitment and the methodology behind that, psychologists involved, uh, geography tests and all sorts. So go and check that out. Uh, it's well worth the read. Sam, I'm sure you'll want to, to give some love to Jordan Rhodes. I thought that could have been a pivotal moment in the tie in an opposite way to, to what it turned out when Danny Ward went off because obviously he's been the chief yeah. goal-getter uh, for Huddersfield this term. But Jordan Rhodes, one of those players, if he told me he was 28 or 48, I would have believed you. It turns out that he's, he's 32, but he can still do it. And, and it's invaluable if you've got a goal scorer that you can bring mm. off the bench like that. Yeah, he was a young lad coming through Ipswich when I was there. His, his dad, Andy, was actually the goalkeeping coach. So... I wouldn't say someone I've uh, consistently spoken to, but after games, when I when I was still playing, I'd always have a word or two with him. Struck me as such a likeable lad, uh, incredibly honest. And someone as a player, I'm sure would be the first to speak about his 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 flaws, the, the things he can't do, but what he can do is, is finish. He can occupy centre-halves. He can compete aerially. He's not going to run past people with the ball. He's not going to be involved in intricate build-up, but he'll know all that. And I think that's that's a testament to like the honest type of character he is. Um, and he's been a bit of a bit part player this year and in previous seasons, but always contributed big moments. I remember, I think, Pookie missing some games towards the tail end of one of Norwich's promotions years. Jordan Rhodes got an opportunity and scored vital goals. And, and again, the other night... and. The post-match was lovely because, as I said, as I'm saying, Jordan Rhodes is just a lovely lad. And Sorba Thomas, I think, name-checked Boreham Wood about three times. So <laughs> he's, again, someone that is clearly the right type, hasn't forgotten where he's come from, and probably just loving that environment that um, he's flourishing in. So, yeah, two, two, it struck me, really nice interviewees and um, a great a great goal to win the tie. Yeah, well done, Huddersfield. I mean, we keep saying it every week, but we ought to repeat it. Most of us tip them to go down and they're in the playoff final. Incredible achievement from them. They've got an excellent manager and a, and a fine squad too. Uh, where do Luton go from here, Clarky? Just as, as we put a bow on, on this particular tie. Uh, it, it strikes me as though... Nathan Jones knows that he's onto a good thing at Luton. He, he tried something else and it didn't work. So you'd expect him to be around. But it also looks to me like not the kind of squad that's going to get cherry-picked over the summer. So maybe there is an opportunity for them to hashtag go again next season. I think so. Yeah, go again. Just just sort of uh, you take the confidence away from this season and bring it into the next. He he's, he's just waxed lyrical about the mentality of his team, about the quality of the players he's working with. They've all bought into him. It doesn't need major surgery at all, does it? It just needs, I don't know, two or three or three or four new faces to come in. I think every summer that's really important. Just add a bit of quality, maybe a bit more, a bit more in central midfield. I'd suggest I think they could, you know, to give them that ability to control matches a little a little bit better. I think what happened this year is that he went for power and pace and, and, and they were very good when they went direct. Um, but maybe they weren't able to put their foot on the ball and, you know, manage games out in that way at times. So so maybe one or two footballers to complement the the quality players and and the, and the workers that he's got there already. I, mean, I don't know what Sam th- thinks about what they need. I, I don't think it's a lot, but yeah, I think if they they could because Nathan Jones wants to play that sharp passing football really, but with the squad that he's got, he focused his priorities on 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 other areas this year. Maybe he could he could just add a sprinkling of uh, of technical quality this summer. 
It's been interesting how many times he's referenced that recently, the pace and oh, power. Oh, has he? I didn't even, didn't even know. Yeah, he has. Yeah. And, and not having it available. I think he referenced it after the, maybe the the uh, penultimate league game and then also after one of the playoff tyres. So it was clearly a, a shift, wasn't it, I think, last summer to, to change things. And I remember you saying, Clarkie, about the consistency he's shown with the shape really this year, which has been, you know, very different to the, the diamond that he was so successful with. So it'll be really inter- in, interesting how they attack it next year. But what I've got complete faith in is the way that they they, they sign players and they'll be at it already trying to pick up some gems, um, maybe trying to play a slightly different way next year. We'll have to wait and see. And I suppose Adebayo, would someone come in now? I wouldn't be completely surprised if someone came in because it's a six foot four inch striker who's good with his feet, who scores goals, who's only going to improve. You know, if I was a a team probably trying to get out of the championship, maybe even the bottom rungs of the Premier League, I think think he probably will get an opportunity because these moves seem to be happening, I've said it a few times, seem to be happening quicker and quicker. A couple of good seasons and um, people take a punt on you. Striker, I think a goal scorer will be maybe... Right near the top of his shopping list, either, either way, really. Not Cornick's done great, Adebayo's done great, Musquay didn't really have that huge impact. Um, Jerome was good, but obviously he's he's, he's aging now. Um, yeah, I think I think uh, another striker will will come in. Hilton as well will become a bit part player. So I think a, a striker, a bit more technical quality in midfield, um, it'd be where he'll be looking. Well, you think recruitment will be easier for them given the season they've had, even if uh, you can't play table tennis at the training ground anymore <laughs> because Nathan Jones burnt the table tennis table. Uh, meanwhile, on Wednesday night, Adrian was at Sixfields to watch Mansfield book their place in the League Two final. Stephen McLaughlin with the only goal of the game here. It meant the Stags go through 3-1 on aggregate. Worthy of it, I think, over the balance of the tie, Clarkie, but this game was not without its controversies. No, it wasn't. I think the right team went through. It's yeah, it's hard on Northampton because they were so close to going up. But the bottom line is there there were only three points that separated Northampton and Mansfield over the season. So two very evenly matched teams. What happened in the second leg was that Northampton started like a train. You know, had a great chance with Epia, who really impressed me. The guy on loan from Leicester City, quick, and he, he was a real threat. Great matchup actually with McLaughlin of Mansfield and and yeah he his header was brilliantly saved by the keeper Nathan Bishop. And then and then Mansfield sort of scored against the run of play really you know nice goal one one full back to the other. And and then Mansfield just basically said right come on then come and break us down. We don't think you've got the imagination the guile the quality to 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 score. And 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 kind of that's what what it proved to be. It was a back six. So they had the back four, <laughs> the two fullbacks tucked in, and the the wingers, you know, the wide forwards, uh, Lucas Aikens uh, on one side and, and Bowery on the other, were basically playing as wingbacks, and uh, and yeah, Northampton had all of the ball, all of the pressure, you know, put the ball into the box a million times, but they didn't create any chances, not really. They didn't nothing clear cut. Every time they had a shot, a Mansfield player blocked it. Yeah, it was a lot of effort, loads of endeavour from Northampton, but their limitations were laid bare in front of us, really. If they're not going to score from a set piece, have they got enough to to break down, you know, a team like Mansfield that was set up that way? And and the answer was was no, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, Nigel Clough nailed it last night. He got the game plan right and his players executed it perfectly. 
But should the goal have, have stood, so, so Lucas Aikens plays a pass into the inside right channel. Stephen Quinn's clearly offside, so he does that thing where he puts his hand up and says, not me, Gov, uh, and lets his teammate cross it in instead. Was he interfering with play, do you think? He ran after it, didn't he? <laughs> and then stopped, yeah. yeah <laughs> I mean, the, arm, the arms up was, uh, was again, an afterthought. Yeah, again, yeah. again, I haven't seen the replay. So my initial instinct is, well played, Quinn, for, for, for stepping aside. Because <laughs> it would have easy to make that touch and then the goal doesn't happen. And also well played Mansfield for, for playing on and, and being sharper than the Northampton who kind of stopped and were like, come on, where, where's the flag? So personally, I, th- I think the goal should stand. I, I don't have any, a massive issue with it. Um, he didn't touch the ball. So no, no, not a problem. The referee <laughs> was just determined not to make a decision, really, all night. Every big call that came around, he just walked away from it. Yeah, so it's, n- it's not surprising the context. I th- I'm, I'm told that Northampton could have had a couple of penalties. My instinct in the stands was they were that they were half shouts rather than nailed on. But maybe you can tell me otherwise. Uh, certainly, I think Mansfield should have had a, a red card for Kieran Wallace. Yes. Uh, incredible <laughs> yes. challenge that somehow got a yellow card. Uh, we need to praise Mansfield don't we Sam because yeah. they went on that, that run of 14 games without a win earlier in the season obviously they had a psychological advantage coming into this game because they didn't blow automatic promotion in an absolutely ludicrous almost unbelievable style on the final day of the season but like Forest, to get from where they were at one point in the season to where they finished it is is worthy of, of plenty of praise yeah and um, I think it's just it's a squad full of strong characters I think there's a lot of experience in there obviously Nigel Clough at the helm and I think that will be that'll be a big difference if Swindon are to make it to, to Wembley. Big contrast there in the amount of the amount of experience lads Mansfield have got. Um and I think the ability to play people in different positions. We've seen Hawkins playing centre half this year, and I thought that was fascinating last night, O'Toole into midfield. Yeah. After playing at the back in the first game. Made three changes, which shows He's got a decent squad, trust in the squad, and that's all good. That's good management in the playoffs. You'd after a victory, invariably you'd expect to see the same eleven. So uh, Nigel Clough utilised his his squad there, and I think you know there's still something for the old motivator and um, amongst a lot of these new age coaches, you know, ones that haven't played. I think Nigel Clough would probably still be a little bit old school, but um, he, he's got a good team there together. And um, yeah, that was two strong sides going at it last night. And to limit Northampton to, I think the chance Clarkey spoke of was their only attempt on target in the first minute. To limit them to that, you know, a, a strong, robust side from set pieces, all credit to the way that they defended, especially the two centre-halves, Perch and Hawkins in particular. I thought Hawkins was unbelievable. I thought he was so good. Um, for a guy that spent a lot of his career up top, it's, it was a... It was really special. Um, yeah, and I think as a pair, they, they were excellent on the night. And yeah, John Joe Tool in midfield instead of Longstaff. Now, Longstaff has been outstanding. He was a Premier League player last season, wasn't he? And, and, and he scored in big games for Newcastle. So a coup to get him, but then to leave him out of the biggest night of the season because I didn't... And Clough, I think, was quoted as saying, I didn't think this was the kind of night for, for Matty Longstaff. You know, it's a recognition... Uh, that I know what type of game this is going to be. And I, I, even though you're a great player, I, it's not for it's not for you. You step aside. I thought that, that's really smart management. The other thing he did was turn Northampton around from kickoff. It's a little thing. 
but it's just knowledge, isn't it? It's knowledge. He knows which end Northampton want to kick towards their home fans' second half, and when they're chasing it potentially, uh, getting you know that roar behind them from all those corners and free kicks. It didn't happen. All those corners and free kicks happened in front of the Mansfield fans. That's because I think Clough sent the message to his skipper: "Look, if you win the toss, turn around." It, it, it's just. It's just knowing where you are and knowing the type of game to expect. And, and Clough, Clough, you know, he, he pulled that one out of the bag. Excellent manager. Yeah, congratulations to Clough, to the Stags and to Farron Rawson. Uh, like Matty Longstaff, didn't get off the bench on Wednesday night, but has just completed the purchase of my late nan's house. Uh, Farron, you might want to put a second bathroom in, but otherwise structurally sound. <laughs> Do enjoy it. Okay, up next, we're heading to the first Wembley final. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. If you want to read more Football League content from the likes of Nancy Frostick, Paul Taylor, Phil Buckingham, Peter Rutzler and more of the Athletic's best writers, you can do so by heading to theathletic.com forward slash league show and get yourself a subscription of just £1 a month for the next six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. So Black Cats and Chairboys descending on Wembley Way this Saturday, some taking traditional methods of transport to get to the game. One Sunderland fan coming via Menorca because it's cheaper than flying or getting the train Brilliant. from Newcastle. Absolutely love that. Uh, first thing to say, Sam Var used in all three finals. How do you feel about that? <sighs> don't ask me about that. You, you don't need to. You don't, that's, that's your answer, mate. Yeah, that's um, how I feel. If it's being used in the championship final, then yeah, you've got to use it in League One and League Two. But um, yeah, so I haven't got too much of a problem. It's in our lives, isn't it? These are massive games. You can't um, show favoritism towards the champ. You know, it's massive days for for these um, six clubs. So I don't mind it. But in the general sense, get rid. Yeah, get rid. Yeah, football's much better to watch in person, particularly when when there's no VAR. Yeah, I'm with Sam. Yeah, if you do it for the championship, you've got to do it for all three. But I'd rather it wasn't there. Because I don't trust the people that are, that are, that are in Stockley Park. To be perfectly honest, I don't trust them to make the right decisions. And the consumer, you know, the, I don't like saying consumer experience or the fan experience is is shocking. And uh, yeah, I just think it, it it kills the vibe. Yeah, don't. I I just want everything stripped back. Just goal line technology, offsides, automatic offsides. Maybe when the technology is there, fantastic. But no, I'm I'm over it. Yeah, Agreed. rubbish. Agreed. 
Uh, right, so Sunderland Wickham then. Both teams last won at the National Stadium when it was empty. Sunderland in the Papa John's Wickham in the playoff final. Tranmere the victims on both of those occasions. Sunderland have sold almost 44,000 tickets and they've asked for some more. Uh, the good news is that Brentford broke that red and white striped curse last season. Do you remember this, listener? Uh, before they <laughs> beat Swansea in the Championship final, teams who traditionally wear red and white shirts and black shorts had featured in 32 playoff campaigns and 16 finals with without ever achieving promotion. Madness. Uh, Sunderland, meanwhile, ended their own Wembley hoodie with that aforementioned pizza trophy win. Prior to that, they'd lost seven consecutive finals. Thing is, though, Clarkie, all of that is totally irrelevant to this game on Saturday, isn't it, basically? (laughs) It's about Sunderland v Wickham, classes of of 2022. And I I guess the big thing for Alex Neal, he said no significant new injury concerns. He's got a decision to make as to whether he starts Nathan Broadhead or not. Yeah, um, yeah, it is a big decision because Ross Stewart has to start. You've got Pritchard there. You've got Roberts, who I thought was really good in both semi-finals. Pivotal player, wasn't he? I think Patrick Roberts has to play. So yeah, maybe Broadhead's influence will be will be from the bench. Well, yeah, it's it's a tough call. It is. It's not easy, but it's a, it's a nice position to be in, isn't it? Where you've got too many good players to fit into your starting eleven. So yeah, they're in a good place, aren't they, Sunderland? Uh, I thought tactically they were they were really solid across two drab legs against Sheffield Wednesday. But that will give them give them confidence. I think the ability to to know that they can keep teams at bay now, Sunderland, um, it will give them great belief ahead of this final because they've got Roberts, they've got Stewart, they've got Broadhead, they've got Pritchard, Clark, who's who's come into some good form towards the end of the season. They've got match winners there and they've got a platform. But they're playing Wickham. <laughs> and Wickham are just horrible so-and-sos to to encounter in a one-off match like this. I think Gareth Ainsworth is a wonderful match play manager. So I, I think this is 50-50. I really do. Uh, might not be saying so at five o'clock on Saturday, Sam, but, but looking at it now, eyebrows were raised when Sunderland got rid of Lee Johnson. But Alex Neal almost immediately kind of steadied the ship, didn't he? They, they got that stoppage time equaliser against Burton when Stewart scored. And then they went and, and dominated Wigan on their own patch. And since then, they haven't looked back. They haven't lost a game. Done, done an outstanding job. Um there used to be maybe a bit of a soft touch, not anymore. 16 games. I said it, I think, on a previous pod, only conceded more than one twice. One of them was a victory. The The only defeat they've had was at MK Dons. So there's a resilience about him. He seems to have that ability to change tactics late in games, whether that's the shape or um, introducing subs that have been getting goals. To not make a change in that second leg at Sheffield Wednesday, I thought was fascinating to, to to back the lads who were doing okay, but had been rocked by the Lee Gregory goal. I think that showed there's a, there's a belief about them, that probably a character instilled by the manager. I think this could be a long day for commentators and co-commentators alike, <laughs> Matt. I think if people are expecting there to be an abundance of goals because they shared 10 in the league, that's not going to happen. Since Wickham have changed their shape, they are sturdy. They've got eight clean sheets in in fourteen games since they switched to the to the back four, and and the stats are similarly good for for Sunderland. So can't really separate them. There's going to be some fantastic duels. How the two kind of aggressive Wickham centre halves deal with Stewart. How our mate Joe Jacobson deals with the the wide threat of probably Gooch or Roberts on that side. Clark on the other against McCarthy. Um, Vokes obviously is having a fantastic time right now against 
Bailey Wright is on fire defensively. It's it's too close to call, but I, I think it. I think it's probably going to be one nil, yeah, maybe yeah. an extra time. I was on a betting podcast before I came on this one, and we talked about this game, and I said there are two standout bets here. One is unders under two and a half goals, and the other one is Wickham on a handicap. Um, you know where you get the draw on side because you can absolutely see it going to um, going to extra time. So yeah, I, I endorse everything Sam said there. Uh, I think Wickham can really get at Sunderland's fullbacks. I think there's there's a little bit of a weakness. I think they can they can charge down the sides a little bit on those breaks and maybe cause them issues. But yeah, this is uh, this is going to be close and tight. Uh, you can read more Sunderland content on The Athletic as Michael Walker has interviewed Patrick Roberts. Uh, so that's the Black Cats pulling up a chair to talk about his boys now is Wickham legend Matt Bloomfield. Matt, it's been a long old wait, hasn't it, between the semi and, and Saturday. How are you feeling? Yeah, feeling good. Just pleased that the game is now now upon us. It's been a long, long build up into the game, which has given us plenty of time to analyse and plan and, and prepare but, you know, all the planning and preparation is in place. And now we're looking forward to actually getting on with, with our business on Saturday. So I'm excited. The boys are excited. And, and yeah, like I say, we're looking forward to getting down to business. Because you had that gap between the, the semi and the final, did, did you all get a couple of days off to, to just kind of decompress or have you been at it all the way throughout? Yeah, no, we had a couple of days off. I think the um, it was very intense. Um, the Thursday, Sunday was an intense period for the players and the staff to to make sure we were fully prepared for those two playoff games and and naturally I think everyone needed just a couple of days just to decompress and and and, and sort of re-energize and and get that energy back a little bit so the boys had a couple of days off the staff were straight onto onto preparing for the for the final um but we had we did it from home for a couple of days just to get like I say get our energies back get that intensity back and then we were back in and, and with the preparation You'll be underdogs again against Sunderland. You had that against MK, of course. That that's kind of the way you like it, isn't it, at Wickham? Yeah, and and that's kind of naturally so. We are the underdog. You know, um, we've been we've been playing that tag for a long time now, and it's it's the way it is. Um, we're a team that's that's punching above our weight in terms of um, resources. The expectation on Sunderland is that they're going to get promoted, not just the Championship, but the, the Premier League again one day. You know, they're a huge football club with. A, a massive following um, so the expectation is there for them to go and achieve so we're certainly the underdog but we don't mind that we're we're at our best when when we're in that kind of frame of mind but at the same time I have to say um, I've got full confidence in these boys you know we've shown this season that we can on our day we can beat any team in this league so um, don't take that underdog tag as, as a lack of confidence or or belief from our, ourselves we know what we've got within this building we know what we've got in the change room from the boys and we've been we've been at this we've been doing it our way for for a good few years now so we have total belief in what we're trying to do and, and like I say we're looking forward to to attacking it on Saturday I mean nobody knows more about getting promoted than you I guess promotions what four of them captain 2020 at Wembley can you pass anything on to the players about about what you need to, to get over the line or is it is it kind of you know it's all about the individual game rather than you leaning on things that, that happened a few years ago no, that certainly you can pass on things. You know, I think with um, Sam or no, you know, it, within those successful seasons, those successful campaigns, there's usually a few, few bits that uh, of, of psychology and a few bits of, within the team setup that um, re- resurface during those seasons. So you can definitely lean on successful campaigns, 
as you can on a non-successful campaign, you know, some of the things that could possibly go wrong. And you can easily lean on those experiences, pass them on slightly and just be there as, a, as an ear for some of the boys. But, you know, we've got an ex- experienced group. A lot of this team have played at Wembley. A lot of this team have got promoted before. So um, those boys certainly know what, what they're up against Saturday. Matt, I remember there's been a few um, tense and tough games against Sunderland in, in recent times. I think there was a few quotes from uh, Darius Charles, wasn't there, after one particular game. What What are your memories about playing playing against Sunderland first and foremost in, in the recent years? And is there a little bit of beef between the two going into this? From my point of view, Sam, it's it's a massive football club who it's always a pleasure to, to come up against. You know, um, growing up, you know, I always saw Sunderland as a, as a huge football club with, as I've said before, a massive following, a huge fan base. Um, and they've had some, you know, incredible footballers playing for their football club over the years. So for me, it's um, it's just a case of, you know, being really, really proud of my football club, competing on on the level with them and having an opportunity over 90 minutes if we beat them to, to be in a league above, you know. So, you know, different incidents have happened over the years. But for me, um, that's what's been and gone. If we get caught up in in that, then we'll forget about what's important. And what's important in my eyes is the way we perform on Saturday, the way we prepare over these next two days, the way we perform on Saturday. If we get the majority of that right and get all of that right, then hopefully the result will, will come. So for me, you know, those those incidents that happened in the last few years have been and gone. Um, this is a new team now. It's it's a slight evolution of of the football team on the pitch. I think people who have watched us play can see that. And um, I'm really, really proud of this group of players. I, I love coaching them. I love my part of what I'm doing here and working with the manager in Dobbo. So I'm just going to be proud as punch to see those boys go out on Saturday. And nothing, nothing will give me greater delight than seeing them perform the way I know they can. Um, Matt, we really appreciate your time this morning. But as a regular listener, you'll know uh, that we always finish with a super serious, very tough question. Here's yours. Uh, you've been a chair boy for so long. So the obvious question is, what, what's your favourite type of chair? Are we talking lazy boy style, recliner? Are you, are you big leather armchair, office swivel chair, bar stool? What, what's your favourite seat? Uh, well, I must say in retirement, my best, my my uh, my favourite seat at the moment is the seat I have by my desk in the office because I seem to be spending so long at it. So it's a big, uh, big office chair, nice comfy one when I'm doing my analysis and, and all the work we're doing. So uh, that's the one I've seen. Well, that and my car. I think my, my car seat, I seem to spend many hours sitting in there uh, driving back from Suffolk and, and Wickham. So those two are, are the ones I spend most time. Have a little swivel on the office chair when nobody's looking still? No, no, it's just lean back, but it's comfy. So it does me. <laughs> That's amazing. Matt, <laughs> uh, thanks so much for your time today. Really good luck for Saturday. Thanks for having me on, gents. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Matt Bloomfield there. Wickham icon chair dweller all right so we think it's going to be a tight game what do paddy power think let's bring in producer abby she can give us some odds on the league one playoff final i can and it's sunderland who are the favorites to win this one they are 21 to 20 wickham five to two sunderland therefore odds on to be promoted at four to seven taking in clarkie's under two and a half uh, goals bet that is going to be six to ten so that looks very likely to be the case and uh, wickham on a handicap uh, that is uh, four to six so it uh, looks like adrian knows what he's talking about but yeah sunderland the favorites to beat wickham overall clip that up and send it to clarkie so he can use it as his ringtone looks like adrian knows what he's talking about he just <laughs> play that around clark towers every so often not my words the words of producer abby <laughs> Uh, my, yeah, my wife might, might not agree. Yeah, <laughs> uh, You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. It's over 18s only. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. T's and C's apply. And when the fun stops, stop.
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams. Okay, plenty of news since last we spoke on Monday. Jake Daniels has become the first openly gay professional footballer since Justin Fashionu. Uh, he's rightly been lauded for his, his bravery, his courage, his honesty. I feel like that's been spoken about a lot. Uh, Sam, you and I are in, in the privileged position of having seen him actually play football this season <laughs> in the FA Youth Cup quarterfinal at Stamford Bridge for Blackpool against Chelsea. Uh, he's got tremendous potential. He was brilliant. They were brilliant collectively. A uh, bit of a story this year in the Youth Cup. think they knocked out Newcastle in a previous round. And yeah, trawling through all the highlights, he was heavily involved uh, prior to that Chelsea game. And immediately, you could just tell. Yeah, just knew the game for someone so young. Uh, played slightly off, I think, the number nine, if memory serves me right. Getting into pockets of space. Yeah, just looked like a real player and obviously has made his, his first team bow as well. So um, he could be an absolute star on on the show in that I saw. Excellent, we hope so. Um, plenty of managerial movements as well to fill you in on. Johnny Jackson is the new AFC Wimbledon manager. I'm pleased about this, Adrian. We know obviously he's Sam's mate. We've had him on the pod a few times before. Lovely fella. But it, but it was you who was saying the other week you know, concern about whether he could get back in again because of the, the proportion of first-time managers who don't ever become second-time managers. So so this is excellent news from, from that perspective. I'm delighted that AFC Wimbledon have recognised his talent. I, I really am because I, I don't think there would have been that many opportunities for him, not because he's not a good coach or, you know, didn't prove to be a decent manager because I, I was impressed with him. I thought he was really unlucky to lose his job at Charlton. But but yeah, I I did fear that, that what what would happen would he have to go back to being a number two, but they've yeah I think it's the right appointment for the club I do and and it's a good chance for him to put his own imprint on the team you know we we talked about the the transition in in policy quite a lot on this podcast last season it'd just be really really interesting to see which direction Johnny takes it whether he he, he gets in a lot of young players like like they did this year or or goes with a bit more experience as well. It's local for Sam as well, isn't it? I mean, surely Sam's got to be Sam's got to be involved here. He's local. He can get himself along to the training ground. Hey, I'll be involved in the social media advisor. I'll be involved. I'll be involved in the cappuccinos along the waterfront in Kingston. I'm I'm sure. I I think that's where it stops. You're going to be. I can see you being a consultant. Yeah, just pop down to the training ground. You know, once or twice a week, have a little word again for a coffee and a pastry. Yeah, (laughs) you don't need the cash, do you? Let's be honest. Yeah, it's a good fit though, right, Sam? For your mate, he'll be given the time to, to. to put his own imprint on it, you'd think? Yeah, he'd, he'd have been hurt, obviously, by how it played out at Charlton. And, you know, should have should have had an opportunity to build a squad because we, we saw as soon as the players became available, front players in particular, they, they started getting results. So I think he was a bit hamstrung with the, the way he, he, he had to play when he didn't have his better players available. So... Yeah, it's a it's a really good opportunity, relatively local for him. Good club, you would think, very very straight and and forward owners to deal with because of the the, the journey they they've been on. It's going to need 
a lot of wheeling and dealing. I would suggest this summer they need obviously a lot, a lot more attacking prowess in that in that squad. Uh, if the aspirations are to bounce back straight away, and I think we all know in football <laughs> that's always going to be the target. You know they're going to want to go straight back up Wimbledon, so he's going to be busy. Even though I'd imagine he's on about the fourth hole right now, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure he'll have his um, his phone with him. Uh, Paul Ince has been appointed Reading manager on a permanent basis. Mark Bowen is director of football, hence why Bowen didn't want the the Wimbledon job, I suppose. Uh, this being Reading, Adrian, they like to get through their managers. Uh, at what point next season will Bowen be installed as as interim gaffer? Oh, I think Ince would do well to to get get past Halloween um, <laughs> before he gets the bullet. I, I, I genuinely think it. I, yeah, he's not he's not a bad guy. He's not a bad manager. Did a did an okay job. To, to sort of keep them up but yeah I'm not, not convinced um, by by the appointment not convinced really by the direction of the club and uh, I think they might yeah they might struggle it'd be just be interesting to see if they're able to keep hold of their prize assets because they've got a lot of talented forward players that would have been very underwhelmed by what they were part of last season very frustrated uh, did, it, did they have the stomach to stick around for for you know, and that more of the same potentially, or do they want to angle for moves? I think you could look at the guys in the front four and say that they're all beyond the lists of other teams. So yeah, it could be an interesting summer at, at, at Reading. Uh, of course, I should have said Mark Bowen is the head of football operations, not the director of football. Big uh, assistant to the regional manager versus <laughs> assistant regional manager. Energy to that. Uh, Sam, it smacks to me of a club who want to do something on the cheap. If I had somebody who's pleased to have got the job on a permanent basis rather than somebody who's going to say, you need to give me X million pounds to revamp this squad that would have got relegated had other teams not been deducted more points than us. Yeah, quite possibly. I don't know. I think there's teams that need probably more more surgery, more overhauls than, than Reading. That said, there's a large amount of players, huge amount of players that are out of contract. I think negotiating with John Swift, I think I... I think I read, I, I, I don't know with, with this one. I think, yeah, it's, it's been a pretty wretched season for them, given the amount of talent that they, they had at their disposal. I thought that that would, that would get them out of the mire eventually. And ultimately that's, that's what happened, but it's going to be a different looking squad. And I don't know. He, it doesn't seem to be, you know, Reading fans really disappointed with this appointment. So there must have been some good in those performances towards the tail end of the season. But I have to agree with Clarky. really. It doesn't feel like it's one that's going to have longevity. Uh, speaking of a lack of longevity, Salford City have sacked another manager, Gary Bowyer. Given the boot, we were assuming Michael Appleton was coming in. The Athletic reporting on Thursday that Manchester United's under-23 coach, Neil Wood, is set to depart United to become first-team manager of League Two side Salford City. Uh, worked closely with Nicky Butt, who's obviously one of the, one of the co-owners. I don't know, it's hard not to mock a little bit, I think, Adrian, with Salford, but because of the kind of stance taken by some of their owners who work in the media publicly about how football should work and how it actually has worked at Salford City, it all feels a bit like, OK, so Neil Wood then, who's going to be replacing him in six months? Yeah, he needs a, can I go back to Man United clause written in that contract, doesn't it? <laughs> Uh, they're just flip flopping, aren't they? For, for guys that know a very know an awful lot about football, there's no direction, is there? There's none. I, don't, I still don't really know what sort of team they they are. Um, I think they went a bit more direct, didn't they, towards the end of the season with the big centre forward coming in? 
But Neil Woods used to work in under twenty three levels, more technical players playing a different you know brand of football. So it's a trendy one, isn't it? I, I'm all for it. There's been a lot of success with with young coaches, coaches that are developers that come in and improve players, improve teams, have philosophies. It, it's been the season of that, really, right across the EFL. So in that sense, it's a, it's a fashionable appointment, isn't it? But like you say, Salford have, keep changing their minds so often, you, you feel like you have to doubt them <laughs> or mock them, uh, which we're happy to do here on this show. <laughs> uh, we haven't even mentioned Scott Brown at Fleetwood yet. Uh, uh, appointment that caught many of us on the hop congrats and all that but but sam i feel like you might shred his announcement tweet this is from scott brown's official account at scott brown eight a <laughs> uh, picture of him holding the shirt up with brown one on it which it do- doesn't matter that match the handle but anyway he says delighted to be named head coach at fdfc excited for the next chapter of my career can't wait to get started not a <laughs> single emoji there absolute route one Scott doesn't need another doesn't need any more reds does he or suspensions so I'll just give him a I'll give him a yellow because I would imagine he's particularly reticent to get involved in any form of social media having spent a week with him doing my B license don't judge books by their covers actually was what I took away from it I've thoroughly enjoyed his his company he had a very good knack of delivering a one-liner he seemed to enjoy my gags and we enjoyed a few (laughs) pints together and um I tell you what, people that don't rate him as a footballer, even though we were kind of walking through stuff and Clarkie will have been on these these courses or done them when he was a younger player. You're not going full throttle, but he could play. Always looked like he had time, always picked the right pass. I'm sure because of his his job and his playing style, he will know the game. Good pedigree in Scotland, haven't they, for producing good coaches and, uh, and managers. So, yeah, he could, be, he could be the next big one, couldn't he? But is Edinburgh technically the East Coast? It's always West Coast, they always mm. you know, get applauded, oh, isn't see, it? Yeah, the Glaswegians, they get applauded, isn't it? Yeah. Find out on the Totally Football League. I better find out where season. he's from before I come out with that type of nonsense. <laughs> uh, by the way, he did a lot better Twitter-wise on Christmas Day uh, when he tweeted, thanks for all the Christmas messages, means a lot smiling face emoji with hearts around it so he's from Dunfermline where my mum's from so he will be an unrivaled success <laughs> you heard it here first go on the pause uh, right before we go with the uh, with the full stop being put on League One this season this weekend we thought it apt to get our boys to pick their teams of the season uh, let's go through them position by position for we I'll tell you the official one first we'll see how many we match up with uh, they had Michael Cooper then Watmo Michael Hecway, Harry Darling Wes Burns midfield of James McLean Barry Bannon Dan Barlaser and Scott Twine with Michael Smith and Ross Stewart up front and Liam Richardson in charge of it all uh, Sam who's your goalie? Uh, my goalie is uh, Cooper at Plymouth. Yeah. Okay, oh. so matching up there. Clarkie, are we getting a full house on that? Yeah, yeah, he's he's had a great season. Loads of clean sheets. Um yeah, I think he was. I think he was the best goalkeeper in the division. Yeah, big big future ahead, I think, for, for Mike Cooper. Uh do you go back four, Sam? Uh yeah, do you want all four? Yes, please. Yeah, I've got uh well basically I've got two defenders. Uh, in keeping with my footballing philosophy, that's going to see me uh, uh, announced at AFC Wimbledon any day, day soon um, to assist. Wes Burns at right back, who essentially is a right winger stroke right wing back. But according to Transfer Marks, he has played right back this season. So he's going in there with Jack Watmore and Harry Darling. I've gone for lads I've seen this season in the flesh and thoroughly enjoyed you know, watching them essentially. So there is a few omissions and left back similar to, to Burns on the other side, James McLean. I think just 
the output those two have had in terms of assisting and, and scoring goals from from deeper positions, maybe slightly unnatural roles, has been phenomenal, really. Uh, Clark, you went for the same two centre halves, didn't you? What about your fullbacks? Yeah, Watmore and Darling, I think I think can play at the higher level. Obviously, we know that James McLean can nine goals, seven assists. So yeah, I think those three those three are nailed on. I went for Chidozi Ogbeni. Another guy that I've seen live in the flesh. Obviously, he ended the season up front, but for a lot of it, he was he was a, a very exciting right wing back for for Rotherham United. You know, he made things happen, and yeah, I was just really really impressed with him. I think he's someone that that can can do really well for Rotherham in the Championship next season. Uh, yeah, we had him on the pod earlier, and and if you if you didn't hear that, just just go back to listen to his beautiful Irish slash Nigerian accent, which is um, something to behold. Oh, you've gone for a diamond, Sam. Very flash. Who's at the base of it? Uh, I've gone for... F- <laughs> Basically, nobody's got a defensive bone in their body, but this one <laughs> probably... Do you know what? Three of them are really energetic, up and down, as who would be capable of doing it. But Ben Wiles is going to have to sit a little bit for me. I think he's been Rotherham's best player. And I don't think... I don't think everyone would go for that. I think people would go for Smith, potentially one of the centre-halves of Benet. I think Wiles is a driving force, uh, can score goals, but could get it off the back four, no problem, and um, get the team up the pitch. And I just wanted to get a Rotherham player in, and he's the only one as well that I've gone for. Uh, you've also gone for Gareth McCleary and Will Keane. And of course, you had to pick your boy, your favourite player in League One this season in there. Yeah, Scott Twine off the left and McCleary off the right. I, I just I think McCleary's taken Wickham to another level. He's when we spoke to Matt Bloomfield today. You know the club's evolving, better caliber of player. He's been fantastic. The, re, the return consistently. Scott Twine, another one who worked really hard. I just had to shoehorn him in, obviously, because he, he could play out front. He could play off the front. He, he's been the best player in the division. Uh, I would say Will Keane, top goal scorer. So he's going to be at the point of the diamond. Yes, he could play out front, but he's played more as a 10. And uh, um, Liam Richardson. So it's a bit shoehorned, but I'm happy with it. <laughs> tactical analyst Adrian Clark, meanwhile, has gone 4-2-1-3. So tell us about your two sitters and, and the little floater in front well, of them. We can, we can tweak it. It could be it could be a 4 Two, two, two. <laughs> so All right, right yeah. style, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll go. We'll go with four, two, one, three because it's it's a bit unusual. I've gone with um, I've gone with Max Power and Barry Bannon as my sort of regulation midfielders. I think both both have had great seasons. Max Power is obviously he can slide across and cover it right back when Ogbené goes goes and does his thing inside the final third. He, he spent a lot of this season at right back. But I think the Wigan were, were outstanding and Power was was certainly Mr. Consistent for them. Bannon is, is a class act. I know I know that Sam Right before we came on here, we talked about Bannon and said he, he was better towards the end of the season. He didn't do that much early on in the campaign. I kind of agree, but he's class act. So power and Bannon. Um, I've got Scott, uh, Scott Twine in front, a little bit of a marauding role. Um, the player of the season, obvious pick there. I too have gone for McCleary. I'm, I'm glad that, yeah, I, I thought I'm, I'm, Sam might not go for him. So I'm, I'm, I'm pleased we're on the same thinking there. I've gone for uh, McCleary and Will Keane. To kind of make up that that attacking midfield three behind the main striker, um, which for me is Cole Stockton. Yeah, you've got Stockton as well, Sam. Uh, it, it's a bit reductive to say, but I mean, more can go down without him essentially, don't they, this season? 
Yeah, and that's why I'd just like to get him in there because you get all the plaudits being in one of the top teams, um, which I have done throughout that side. Like McCleary, I've kind of, I could have had McCleary or Bannon and I just think McCleary's still got an opportunity of, of going up. And yeah, Barry Bannon's my biggest omission, but you know, he's a championship player really, isn't he? So it's like Clarky. It's like Clarky turning up and playing in a vet six aside. He's going to be the best player, isn't he? Every Tuesday night. So that's my excuse there. Yeah, Cole Stockton, struggling team and delivered not only a brilliant return, but he scored five absolute worldies. I mean, he's got to be in the, he's got to be in the team, although Vokes could be in the team. Michael Smith could be in the team. I've gone for Ross Stewart. Ross, Ross Stewart. Yeah, I've gone for Ross Stewart with, with Cole Stockton. I just think Ross Stewart has transformed Sunderland from, at times, quite a yeah quite a difficult watch, a team that aren't going to score uh, bundles of goals. Um, he's been ridiculously clinical. He's got a great all-round game. And um, yeah, they're my two. But it could quite easily have been Smith or, or Vokes. They've been excellent as well. On, on Ross Stewart as well, at the start of the season, you've got to remember... They'd lost Charlie White, and and the feeling was, oh, are they really going to just rely on 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 this Ross, Ross Stewart, who didn't really do that much as White's understudy? Is he that good? There were big question marks. So it's his first full season as a nailed-on starter there, and yeah, he was outstanding, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I feel I feel bad that I didn't include him in my team. It's just a shape shape of the side thing. I haven't quite got that that that, that crazy kamikaze tactical instinct of, of the boy parking but um <laughs> but yeah that's the that's the only reason otherwise he would have been into who's uh who's managing this maverick 11 then sam yeah it was a complete toss-up between paul warren and liam richardson i just went for richardson just because of all the problems at wigan i suppose and and yeah they had a good squad and he 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 signed some really good high caliber players, but he's still got to mold him into a team. Really impressed with some of the little snippets we've seen from the dressing room, the way that he speaks to the players and yeah, champions just just pit. It's Paul Warren who obviously did did a bit of a well, did a double this year, didn't he? So he, he he's gonna assist. I'm gonna get him along for the ride. Partly because yeah, I'm seeing him on Saturday at the playoff final, I think. So I better <laughs> give him a roll. Paul Warren did win the um Papa John's trophy. Liam Richardson did save Charlie White's life. Let's not forget. Um, yes. Maybe, maybe that tipped things slightly, slightly in his favour. You yes. went for Warren, though, right, Clark? You, somebody we're a big fan of on this pod, and, and obviously had the tough task of, of being the man who was in charge when they went down from the championship. So it's a whole other thing to, to get motivated yourself and your players to get yeah. straight back up again. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it to him, but but Liam Manning has has, has almost pipped him to it. Like, Liam Richardson's hard to argue. <laughs> Won the league, saved Charlie White's life. That is that is pretty unbeatable, to be honest, but. Yeah, it, 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 amazing. Um, and he's a newbie as well. You know, he's a guy that that, that, that wasn't a, a number one manager before. So kudos to him. Yeah, Warren's done the double. He won the cup, and 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 they were the best team for so long. And I just think in the running, he he stayed cool. He didn't panic, and he made one or two little tactical adjustments just to get Rotherham over the line. That really really impressed me. So yeah, he's a great manager. Really really love, love his demeanour. Love. Love pretty much everything about the way he goes about football management. On Liam Manning, he inherited a team that lost Russell Martin, you know, head of the first match of the season. It's a, it's astonishing what he's achieved, keeping the quality brand of football, but developing a winning brand of football as well, which let's face it, Russell Martin, his predecessor, is still 
scrambling for. He hasn't found the winning formula at Swansea either, who were a playoff team the previous year under Steve Cooper. So, yeah, Liam Manning, I don't want to put down Russell Martin, but it feels like he's an upgrade. It does. And, and that's the best compliment I can play, pay to Liam Manning because Russell Martin is clearly a very talented coach. So, um, yeah, he's, he's a narrow... He's on the podium. Yeah, he's on the podium for sure. Some great up-and-coming coaches, great coaches, full stop in, in League One. You know, we wonder what Kieran McKenna would have done with Ipswich had he been there all season. Uh, Darren Moore obviously de- did a decent job at Chef Wed. Stephen Schumacher stepped into to Ryan Lowe's shoes and almost got Plymouth to the playoffs. So plenty of talent in the third tier. Uh, we will be back on Monday. Uh, these are going to be tweeted out, by the way, those uh, League One teams of this season. So, so let us... Know your thoughts. You don't need to at Sam for excluding Barry Bannon. He's um, he's taking the L on that one. Uh, Monday, we'll round up what happened in that playoff final. There'll probably be five or six managerial changes for us to, to talk about as well. Uh, that'll do for today, though. Many thanks to Sam, to Adrian, to Abby, and to Matt Blinfield for joining us earlier too. We'll catch up with you again on Monday. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an athletic media company production. The Athletic. <laughs>